forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. We've got an exciting episode today because we've got an extra guest. So want to welcome, of course, Dr. Royer. Yeah, it's good to be here, Greg. And I'm glad about having our guest today. Very exciting. And we've got a very exciting guest, a professional golfer, elite professional LPGA player named Tracy Hansen. Some of you know her and some of you don't, but just by way of a little bit of introduction. Tracy started playing golf at age nine in northern Idaho, where she was a multi-sport athlete. She played her collegiate golf at San Jose State University, where she won 10 collegiate titles and was a member of the 1992 NCAA National Championship team. Tracy was a four-time All-American and three-time academic All-American at San Jose State University. During her amateur career, she captured numerous titles, including the 1989 Women's Western Junior Championship and the 1991 U.S. Women's Amateur Public Links Championship. In 1991, she was the low amateur at the U.S. Women's Open, and she was a member of the 1992 U.S. Curtis Cup team. So she went on the LPGA Tour in 1993, where she played 15 years and has gone on to be involved in numerous philanthropic and ministry activities, which she'll, I'm sure, tell us a little bit about. And uh, recently she has been playing in some uh, LPJ senior tour events. Maybe she'll say a little bit about that. It's pretty exciting. So we are thrilled to have a player, a performer, an athlete of Tracy's quality on the podcast today. And so we're going to be talking today about performing under pressure and what it takes for an athlete or any of us to perform at our potential under the pressure of competition. Wow. How about that intro, Tracy? Wow. It's good to remember. And sometimes I'm, I'm like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> but it's good to be here with you. Yeah, it's so good to be chatting today, Tracy. I mean, we have a, a pretty long history. I mean, when does our, how far back do you think our intro, the initial intro came? I believe it was in the fall of 2008. Wow. Look at that. We've known each other and worked with a lot of people together, as well as also us working together for a number of years. And it's just been amazing to see where things have gone. Could you mind just giving the audience a little bit of intro to kind of how we first met? And we met under the opportunity of working with you as a professional golfer, but a lot has happened in the last 14 years. Let's kind of start with that beginning. What is your remembrance of that? When I was given your name, I'm like, why do I want to talk to this guy? Like, he's not going to do anything for me. And partly that was because I was already in the throes of trying to determine whether I'm going to keep playing professionally or not. And professionally, I mean by on the tour. I mean, I'm still yeah. a professional. I have never not been a professional since. And so when I met you... I'm like, I know how to breathe. My brain is fine. I'm on a path. I'm going to retire. And in about 20 minutes, I think you had me sold. One, because you're just such a dynamic personality, <laughs> Dr. Royer. And two, I was like, I know, 
I know how to breathe. And you're like, no, no, you don't. And so I, I'm an analytical thinker. I love knowledge. And I was really, I was all in once we really started to look at some of the science behind breathing, brain performance. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fascinating, really, of all people. I mean, you'd been doing this since you were nine years old, collegiate call on the tour. It's a lot different when I work with somebody maybe in college or they're just starting their career and they're wanting their an edge and they're kind of almost grabbing at anything. But this was really, I think, an interesting experience working with you towards the end of your career in that it wasn't just golf. It was kind of you as a whole person, I would think, in that, yes, this helped with golf, but maybe we can kind of delve into a little bit like, how did it go? Well, first, let's talk about how it helped with golf. And then let's talk about maybe how you saw that impact other areas of your life. Yeah, I think that the first thing that we worked on was really hit it hard for about a month about breathing, about teaching me to breathe in and out of my diaphragm finding what HRV is, what it feels like, how can I reproduce it while sitting, standing, walking along the fairways. And we spent a lot of time hooked up with wires and on the golf course. And I think what I really gained the most after a couple of months of working on my breathing is I found some joy in the competition again. Now it was at the end of my not only towards the end of my career, but also the end of that year. So I only got to utilize it a couple of events. But I just remember like breathing for three rounds in Hawaii. And wow, this is like kind of fun again. Isn't that crazy? Which you're like, you're kind of like heading out of the picture, but yet you're feeling like this whole different sensation while you're playing the game. What do you think it was about that breathing and that continuous breathing that changed that for you emotionally? Because this had an emotional change on you, right? Yeah, I think it one, because I'm an analytical player and I was feeling the heat of the end of the season, it gave me something else to focus on. And then what I was focusing on was actually helping my, my physiology at the same time. And so not only was I focusing on something that wasn't taking my mind out of the game, it was actually giving me more calm, more, uh, I think, in my surroundings and more self-awareness. That's interesting because Greg and I talked a lot about in previous podcasts and we'll continue to talk about this moving forward is, is looking upstream to address things that many times we spend a lot of work downstream on certain things, behaviors that could be in sports, but it's life in general. And we don't get upstream to the brain, the neurological, the physiological. And it sounds like what you're describing was a transition from just looking at downstream things to actually experiencing something upstream. Would that, would that be correct? I would definitely agree with that. Now, I didn't necessarily understand it all yeah. like I do today. And it was definitely a shift of something different. Yeah. And so as that upstream, and I mean, you've probably taken a few million, if not trillions, golf shots in your career. So it wasn't like 
somebody's showing you a new technique with your swing or you haven't been on these courses before, but you were feeling different. It was a, sounds like it was a different Tracy on the course than in the past. And how do you think that Tracy, the differences between the two? I think one main thing was in between golf shots, I was focusing Mm. on my breathing and, and that alone allowed my system to get the oxygen that it needed to be more in a rhythm rather Mm. than kind of a start stop or holding my breath or starting to think about my golf swing. And physiologically, I know that there is a calming down of when we right. breathe more in rhythm and when our brain gets that oxygen, it doesn't have to work as hard. Our heart doesn't have to work as hard. And I wouldn't say that I played that last tournament without any nerves or anxiousness. Mm-hmm. But I think what the breathing allowed me to do is to have more resilience when those feelings came on board. If that makes Interesting. Sense. Yeah. Can you describe that a little bit more? Like, what that felt like. I mean, you'd had resilience. You've been doing this for a long time, but you noticed like a greater resilience. Could you kind of describe that to somebody who hasn't played the game maybe? And what would that look like to a pro golfer who's been doing this their entire life? Uh, Yeah, I don't, I don't really care how long you've been playing professional golf, even the, the greats that are still playing on tour. You always get nervous on the first tee. You always get nervous coming down the stretch. Always get nervous on the cut day. Where am I in relationship to the, maybe you have a, there's a really difficult T-ball that your eyes don't set up well for. Like nervousness, anxiousness always comes in and out, no matter what level or how long you've been playing. And so I think, yes, I'd had a lot of resilience to do what I did for so long. And some of that resilience was also breaking down because I had been playing as long as I had been playing. And so I think there was, there's just like a rejuvenation of like, oh, my body actually, I am aware of my body and I can pay attention to my body and I can, I can acknowledge that I'm feeling this way, but I have now this rhythm, this oxygen, this something else to focus on that is more important. Interesting almost like a shift from just consciously thinking in the in-between spaces to actually pushing back into the physiology, the oxygen, what's your body doing, some more of that working on that unconscious side by keeping that all in check. Yeah, very interesting. And that had to be, so you you played in Hawaii, right? Can you tell our listeners what happened in that tournament in Hawaii? (laughs) You have such a good memory, Doc. I do. I don't forget those things. <laughs> I don't remember if it was the first day or the second day, but I ended up shooting 69. And <laughs> I just happened to have a hole in one. Just and happened. It just happened. Um, yeah. And I remember like, I mean, we're always trying to make a hole in one, but yeah. we also have to watch like where is a high risk, low risk opportunity. And I just remember it was a seven iron. I still remember it. And I felt really calm and collected. And I just stood up on the tee and I just saw this golf shot. And my swing, I just got into my breathing routine and the swing just happened. Very, very cool. Can you tell, tell the listeners, like the breathing, you say breathing routine, right? As, as if it's been going on for, for decades. But 
this is actually something that you and I spent a lot of time on developing for you, which then has many golfers since you have benefited from some of this initial work. I mean, you were really kind of you and I together founders of this, what we call point of action breath. Can you describe that a little bit, like how that played into your golf routine and that kind of stuff? Sure. As golfers, we talk a lot about our pre-shot routine. And a lot of times, and I was, I fell into this habit of taking that one big breath and then walking into the golf shot, almost holding your breath. Yeah. And so what you and I developed is getting into that HRV, HRV rhythmic breathing as I'm standing behind the ball. And then we developed a three breath sequence for me. So the first breath happened behind the ball. I'm looking at my target. And on the out breath, right as this transition from in to out is that point of action that you're talking is that I walked into the golf shot. And in that course of that out breath, I'm getting set up in my stance, my posture, lining up my club, all those kind of things. And then I let another inhale come in. And just as I hit that transition from inhale to out, exhale again, I look at the target one more time, taking in information at that point of action. Let that out breath move through as long as I, I, I want it to. And then as I inhale that third breath, just at that transition point is when I pull the club back and I take my entire golf swing in the out breath. Amazing. Yeah. Do you remember? I remember us sitting there with all this technology on you and we were watching your breathing going in and out and watching your routine. And I'm like, you know, are you okay with all this stuff hanging on you while you're hitting the shots? And you're like, I don't even notice it. I'm just hitting the ball. I would be freaking out, right? (laughs) We're watching your, your heart respond to your breath. And we started to say, well, your heart's stressed here on the breath. And then it relaxes on the breath. And then we started to think through all the different physiological components that you need for the game, like the pupils constricting versus dilating, the muscles being relaxed versus tense, the even the grip on the club changing because of skin conductance and skin temperature. And uh, we developed that point of action so that physiologically, all of your crucial moments, taking in the target, your setup, all those things were based off of the parasympathetic and sympathetic responses of the nervous system. So that anybody that's kind of listened to our, the podcast knows about sympathetic and parasympathetic. But this is like in a very fine-tuned, almost microscopic way, taking the parasympathetic responses that happen in our inhale, which is we're out of oxygen, And so my heart is now working harder. My body's working harder and it's in sympathetic. Even in a regular breath, the inhale is sympathetic. I give it all the oxygen it needs. And then body goes into a few seconds of parasympathetic. And that's where it gives back to us versus on the inhale. It doesn't really care about the white ball or the pig skin or whatever it is you're working with. It just wants oxygen. And I remember when we were first doing that, how you, you were like, yeah, that fits, that fits. Do you know many golfers that actually their routine is layered that way into breathing or had you ever seen anything like that before? 
I had never seen anything like that at that point. And I think even since then, and I work with some of the Epson Tour players and try to give them some of this a little bit at a time so that they don't yeah. go crazy. That, yeah, it's it's kind of a foreign concept even today, 14 years later. Isn't that amazing? But you were talking about how that kind of just became, I think you've said it before, like the rails or whatever that you would ride on as you were playing. It wasn't just even the routine. Then you started to accelerate this into, I'm just going to play the whole round this way, right? Yeah. I, again, I, I only had a couple tournaments to really utilize it at that point in my career. But I will say, like, I, I left the tour and then I came back and I didn't really play much for about five years. And the few times I played, I never practiced in like the yeah. next three or four years. But the few times I played, I only thought about my breathing. I hadn't hit a golf ball like hardly at all. And I played some great golf with very little practice by just thinking about my breathing. That's amazing. So we're going upstream. Maybe we're not as do doing as much as the downstream. Hit my irons, putting. Those are all very important. I get that. Instead of putting this obsessional quality on the downstream behaviors, you have kind of hitched yourself to the upstream, the neurological and the physiological. And even if you might be a little shaky on the downstream, that, that is act as kind of like handrails for you. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Another concept, and we'll kind of get into some other areas, but we talk about like continuum golf. That was another thing that you and I kind of worked on 14 years ago was that if we really look at the golf swing, it's going to be like, if you're a really good golfer and you shoot a 69, this thing's going to last a second and a half, maybe. I don't know exactly, but you know, you really want to only engage in that action of the swing for hopefully like a minute and a half, but yet you're out there for for four hours, right? And even more than that, right? You're there beforehand and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember us having a lot of discussion. I mean, this is you being in your career for a long time. We had a lot of discussion like, what are we doing with that space in between? The space in between those second and a half moments of action. What do you think you were doing before? And then what do you think you started doing? Well, I'm pretty sure I can confidently say that I was not paying attention to my body in between golf shots. I was yep. more either disgruntled with myself and not using very positive language <laughs> or, or maybe talking with some of the players I was playing with. But really, my, my brain, the way it's created and through some of my life experiences is on hyperspeed a lot. Mm. And, I, and I think that got in my way for the, a, a large portion of my career that it would just take me out. And so you talk, golfers talk about, you got to be present, be present to that one golf shot. That's the only thing you can control. I don't think I was very good at that. Mm. So what enabled you to be so good at what you did? Well, some of it, I think is raw talent. Mm -hmm. And that that I think golfers that make it on tour for as long as I did, and this isn't to gloat my own skills, but there's that little extra like grit inside. Mm -hmm. 
And I think I have had that and I still have it a little bit. And so I did really well with what the tools that I had and the skill sets that I had. Yeah, you made the most out of those. Yeah. And I don't know if, I I don't think I reached my fullest potential. Gotcha. And why do you say that? I don't think I managed just everything going on in my life well. I mean, I had a lot of, I've had trauma in my, my past, never really got good care for that. I experienced three family deaths in the middle of my career. Never really grieved and got good care for that. I just kept doing what I was expected to do, which was to play golf. And and I think that's where, when I met you, that was kind of the steam that was running my engine of, I can't keep this up anymore. Yeah, definitely. And that's where I would like to transition a little bit. Like how how did this work that we were doing help outside of golf? Like, what did you notice started happening as we were doing some more of those things? It was ironic. And before I, I kind of share that part, I just want any listener out there, that I would, I'll make a big statement and say, I wish I was working with you in my 20s mm. and my career would have been different. It would have been more enjoyable for sure, whether the results were different or not. So yeah. that's my plug. Everybody needs to interact. Yeah. <laughs> um, and with that, I, when I started working with you, it actually backfired on why I started working with you. Yeah. For my golf instructor at the time, and even you, the hope was that I was going to keep playing, that this was going to re- have a resurgence of my career. And what it did for me internally was it actually calmed my nervous system down just enough to help me make the decision that was best for me. And that was mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the tour. Yeah. And what we were doing acted as a vehicle or a method to be able to process that and to unlink yourself from it. Yeah, I don't, I think any golfer has a hard time or any athlete, elite athlete has a hard time when they get towards the end of their career to know when it, it's over. And I wouldn't say necessarily mine was over, but for me with all the life experiences i would had up to that point that my body, my, my system was breaking down and I needed to get help for that. And so using neurofeedback, using breathing allowed me enough self-awareness, which I didn't have before. And it, it's kind of that I, now I talk about it more as like this, it builds this kind of spacer or this capacity to have a response versus a reaction. Love it. Was there any time that golf was actually a negative and all that in that uh, being in, being consumed by it kept you from maybe looking at some of those things or addressing those things? In my story, I, golf became what I took on as a perception that it was expected for me to do. Mm. And so where golf got in the way is making some life decisions that that like I could have been there for my mom more before she died. But mm. golf was the thing that I was supposed to do. And so I kept going out to play golf, going out to play golf. And so I think that's where golf became a negative for me 
is that I just, it was wrapped around this performance acceptance and these expectations that I felt from the external world. Right. And to try to unlink yourself from that was difficult. This connecting with your brain and your body in a different kind of way created maybe a clearer image of it. Is that how you would say that you could kind of see your path? I think I I'd, I'd still would like to go back to just to self-awareness. Okay. And self-awareness and the ability to make a decision based on reality rather than perceived re- reality, maybe. Yeah. We talked a lot on the podcast about what ifs and what abouts the kind of the amazing thing about our brain is it can think into the future and it can think into the past within seconds. It can be present, but many times our what ifs and our what abouts uh, get in the way of us moving forward because it's hard to be self-aware, be present because of these what ifs. What if this happens? What if this happens? Or this, what about this other thing that happened? And it sounds like there was a more of an opening of the self-awareness where you became more present through that process. Yes. And allowed me to make a really hard decision without knowing what the future was going to be. Yeah, that's interesting. This is, well, since then, I've, and over the years, I've had similar experiences with different people in different areas of their occupations where we'll come in and we'll start working on something that we think is to make them a better CEO or a better entertainer or a better football player. And then as we work upstream on the brain and body, something else happens. <laughs> like maybe it's not what we all thought it was going to be. Like they make a tough decision that maybe they've struggled with their whole life, like with a relationship or maybe even leaving a job. Um, that I, I just find very interesting that there's something about this upstream work that reconnects us with ourselves. that sometimes we can get lost in the journey of what we're doing and needing to get back upstream to, to reboot ourselves in a sense. And it sounds like something like that happened as we started to work on the brain and the body. Yeah, I think another perspective for that might be that athletes or performers or CEOs were were really results driven. Mm. And that's not a bad thing in 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 and of itself. However, I like to say also that when that's laced with stress and anxiety, then there's a problem. Mm. And I believe that we're, we are created to excel no matter what that journey is to do our best, excel. And there's that process place in there that I think we lose that, the process of, for me, to be the best golfer that God's designed me to be is about process. It's not just about the results, how many tournaments I win or don't win or what score I shoot, but what's happening in the process. And I think if that's what we lose, I think. Yeah, as you get stuck in the, the numbers, the data, the, 
the performance and you miss the journey. Like I'm on this journey, which can impact all kinds of things, right? Yeah. Our own, our own emotional state, our relationships, decisions we make get kind of clouded by that. Definitely. Can you just speak to a little bit about what you're currently doing and maybe how this transition kind of set, set up for what you're doing today? I mean, it's been 14 years since yeah. we started working together. Well, there's not many days that go by that I just shake my head and like, oh, that's why God had me do that. Oh, that's why I had to learn that. And so much of it came from you, Doc, that just even this idea of the nervous system, sympathetic, parasympathetic, the breathing. So what I'm doing today, I'm working through my own nonprofit of giving space for athletes to talk about their trauma stories and sports leaders or coaches that need care, but also tools in it in to know how to help athletes better in their emotional and mental health. And that's all related to what we're talking about. Sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nerve, both ends, both extremes are weave them the weave in and out of mental health. And so as I help athletes or sports leaders talk about their stories, what I'm realizing, especially in the athletic world, is that Athletes are really good at building their bodies, building their skill sets, and we're really, really disconnected from our bodies. And so that could be neurologically, physiologically, biofeedback-wise from breathing. But that's, and that's all built on what I learned from you 14 years ago. Is that disconnect, which, I mean, we think when we watch it, right, that there's this just unbelievable just awareness of every little click of the heart every little muscle this that and the other but your experience is that you see athletes that i mean they're just kind of they practice it they do it they're disciplined but there's a disconnect with their bodies their brains their emotions at times yeah very often now some of like a tiger woods i mean he's clicked in on probably every little system that's <laughs> that we know that's in the body. And what I'm finding is, especially with people, athletes that have been through trauma, and I think this is my experience, that our nervous system gets stuck. And then we normalize that. And so yeah. then we're out there trying to perform on this elite level with a nervous system that's either above a window of a tolerance or below a window of a tolerance. And that window of tolerance being where we are like in the flow kind of up and down, but not to the extremes where we can manage some difficulties, but then come back to balance. And what I've learned through the counseling training that I've gotten, through the somatic experiencing training that I've gotten, that what you were teaching me about the brain, and my I'm a high beta girl. <laughs> I, I live up there in that high beta, and it made sense of like why sports psychology never worked for me because my brain was on fire and I couldn't take in that information. And so until I worked on my nervous system, I was never going to be able to do a, be good at visualization, but I didn't know that. And so as I work with athletes today, is like helping them understand that they need to know what's happening somatically. They need to know what's happening in their nervous system. 
and then build tools and things that they can do to help improve that. Yeah. So for our listeners out there that don't know what high beta is, can you just describe for them from a a pro golfer's perspective about what high beta is? Yeah, high beta is when our, our, the electricity in our brain is moving like at 170 miles an hour and we're being, or we feel like we're being chased by that lion or that bear that you like to talk about. Yes. All the time. But if you were to watch me play golf, I mean, ex- minus a couple angry episodes, you would think I'm calm, cool, collected, just kind of really hanging out there on the golf course. But inside, my nervous system and my brain are are in that chase. Yeah. And so when the brain's activated like that, we don't think as well. We don't see as well. We don't feel touch as well. And that we never kind of like under pressure coming down that last couple of holes, the wheels will fall out rather mm. than kind of getting more fine-tuned and more focused. So what was it like for you when we hooked up the EEG and looked at your brain and we saw all that high beta that could light up a small city? <laughs> your brain. And I was surprised too, because I'm like, oh, here's this person who's been doing this forever. Like, there's nothing that's going to rattle this person. And I put those EEG leads on. And I'm like, whoa, look at all this fast extra electrical current where where's this coming from and what's this doing so what was it like for you to to see that on the screen there's my brain live and in color and it is running from a lion i think i had two responses the first one was depression (laughs) like oh my gosh like i'm a mess and then two it really started to give me understanding and language Mm. for what i was feeling on the inside but as an elite athlete, I kept telling myself that I shouldn't be feeling. Mm. Yeah. To be able to see it gave you something, maybe some words to put to it that you could address it. Very, very interesting. So when you, when you saw that, how would you say that translates those high beta moments in golf, but also in life when the brain is running like that? What is that doing on the course of well, the golf game, but what's it doing on the course of life that, that you would say or have learned over the years when that high beta is going on fire? Yeah, I, the first thing that's popping into my mind right now is there were lots of rounds of golf that I played where I would be three, four holes down the road. And I'm like, what just happened? I don't have any recollection of playing those holes. And most of the time, that means I was playing them poorly. But I think there were, like, when that high, when my brain is charged like that, it, it's things are moving really fast, or I walk faster, or I make decisions faster, and I don't take in all the information in order to be well prepared for that particular golf shot. Or I'm thinking about four holes down rather than where I'm at. Hmm. In life, I, and even today, like my brain still runs a little hot, <laughs> so, so I'm still working on it. And I, I know when I'm like, if I'm not in a good place, even managing where I run on the upper level, that I get more irritable. Yeah. I don't sleep as well. 
I make more mistakes and I'm a perfectionist. And so when I make mistakes that I don't like that. And so relationships are a little bit harder because conversations don't like, I just blow through conversations rather than stopping and listening and understanding. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's go ahead and we'll wrap up here. This has been great. And let's go, we're going to, we're going to take a pause here and through the kind of technology, the magic of technology, this will be in another episode, but it'll be in a few minutes for us, but let's take a pause here. Greg, you want to kind of wrap things up for us? Yeah. Thanks doc. And as he says, through the magic of show business, we'll be resuming with Tracy in a, what will be a, a future episode, but of course will be just for us in a few minutes, but go to tracyhanson.com to learn more about Tracy her career, and more importantly, her the exciting ministry things that she's involved in right now, working with athletes, working with them through their trauma, mental health, and performance issues. Also, you can go to the Inner Armor, ForgeInnerArmor.com website and learn more about Dr. Royer and the exciting ways that he's helping not only elite athletes like Tracy, but ordinary people like you. So join us for our next episode and perform at your potential. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.